Cougs house. All right, what would you say if I told you we had a basketball game Houston weren't going to lose but also had to lose all at the same time? Well... Welcome to Locked on Cougs, the daily podcast all about your Houston Cougars. I'm your host, Houston-born teacher and coach, Parker Ainsworth, here to break down all things Cougs. If you're a U of H fan or just a hater who came to stop by, please be sure to hit subscribe and download the podcast each day for the latest on the Cougs all year long. If you're subscribed, our show should pop up in your feed each day, so you can be sure to make Locked on Cougs your first listen of the day. Today, we're going to break down, uh, or take a minute to break down, I should say, the red and white scrimmage from over the weekend, uh, get into a little bit of the coaching tips from the Samson Coaching Clinic that was right before it. Now, they called it a scrimmage. I feel like we got to point out that the scrimmage was just two, air quotes, eight-minute halves. It was not a ton of time, but just a, just enough time for us to get our first look at the newest version of the Houston Cougar basketball program. Now, to talk about that, we're going to talk about the red team's performance in the first segment, then the white team's performance in the second segment, and then in our third segment, we'll go over some of the pointers that Samson talked about in the coach's clinic because that, I think, gives some good insight into what he's going to look for this season, the kind of things that he was really harping on from the coach's talk. Now, I do have to admit, I got to go to this thing with my coach's clinic hat on. I got to go as you know, teacher and coach by day, and I got to take those kind of notes while I was down there. I'm not going to give away all of the secrets from Coach's Corner, but man, oh man, secret number one is that Samson is really, really sharp, and he's our guy, and I feel really, really good about him being our guy. But speaking of our guys, I guess we're going to start with the red team. We should probably tell you who was on the red team. The red team was coached by Casey Beard, who's a special assistant on the staff, and assistant coach by Hollis Price, obviously has known Coach Sampson for a long time since his playing days at Oklahoma. The red team had Marcus Sasser, Ryan Elvin, Ramon Walker, Emmanuel Sharp, Darius Bowser, Juwan Roberts, and Reggie Chaney. Now, one big name that stuck out there to me, I think I was looking at this first, was Darius Bowser. He's a new face. He transferred in as a grad, a fifth-year grad student from Charleston Southern. And I think my exact, I think I tweeted this, my exact quote when I saw him walk in the gym was, I think that man can bench press a Volkswagen Beetle. Now, with that said, I guess he's listed at 6'9", 250. If you told me he was more like 6'8", 265, I'd probably believe you. As I was watching the team play, I thought what was interesting was that Sasser functioned a lot like a coach when they called. So white team jumped onto a big lead, or I say big lead, it never got to be huge, I guess, but in this instance, a, a sizable lead. And Marcus had the group in the huddle. And while, yes, Coach Beard was giving them some pointers, and yes, Hollis Price was kind of getting like Energizer Bunny trying to rile the guys up. I think what's interesting that Sasser was the kind of guy as they're coming to the huddle with the calm ourselves down, get ready to roll, etc. They also notably had Ryan Elvin, who I think is going to be a fan favorite again, right? Like, he's the guy we see off the bench. He's the guy we want to see score a bunch of points. I don't know necessarily how much the guy from Round Rock's going to get to play, but I do think that it's funny that he kind of filled in that role like second. Like, a guy that I don't know how many minutes he'll end up getting throughout the season got to get in the game, started the game, actually, I should say. He's a fan favorite, and... He served like as this makeshift assistant coach to Ryan Sasser's also makeshift coaching role along the way here. Now, one thing in watching this game, I have to say, is on the red team, the defensive intensity from Sasser was noticeable. Uh, we'll talk more about the postgame stuff in a minute, but I think it's worth pointing out that it sounds like they've worked on a lot more on defense than they have on offense. But he and Ramon Walker really did a great job of swarming the ball 
not after it crossed half court, but kind of closer to the three-point line and really putting a lot of ball pressure as soon as they got kind of within that 30-foot mark. I think the other thing that's interesting there is like there was clearly some jump line, like where they're going to jump the ball when it crosses XYZ. And Sasser guarded Shed, which I think was interesting and well done for them. Um, I think the other thing that I was looking at this is as I watched Sasser guard Shed, Shed got the better of him a couple times, right? Uh, Sasser gave up some points in the paint and those kinds of things. I wonder if, A, he's used to funneling to more starters. Because as we looked at this, if I were projecting starters, the white team had more of them. (laughs) Um, But the red team had Marcus Sasser, and he's, you know, potentially the best player in the country. And so I think that's the balance there. But Sasser, I think, you know, in letting the guy get to the paint, maybe had, you know, gamble a little bit up top and let the guy get by him. But Shed is also a all-conference, potential All-American type of player. It's not like some random guy going by Marcus Sasser when that happens. That's the kind of di- the like duality of watching an inter-team scrimmage. Like I also want everyone to score, but I also don't want anyone to score. And that back and forth <laughs> was complicated, I have to say. Um, the red team, because it didn't have as many starters, didn't have as many guys, I do think seemed to have more of those pre you know, first game jitters. Uh, obviously, it was in Fertitta Center. They did wear their practice uniforms and all that, but there was a fairly sizable crowd there. Uh, they, most of that people in on the, I want to say donor seat side, because that's how I identify it. It's the, like, much more push, uh, uh, posh seats on the south side of the end, uh, south side of the court. And I think it's interesting that, like, that was pretty much full, including a section right above it. And then students were on the other side. The band was there playing. It did have a nice atmosphere. And frankly, for a midday Saturday scrimmage, I, I, they, they obviously picked it because it was a bye week for the football team. But I thought that was fairly well done on their behalf. Sasser and Walker did kind of run the show on offense, meaning in the classic Samson two-point guard, two guard system, they both took turns kind of leading the offense. Not that they were like in the, you know, leading the offense like my turn, your turn, trying to isolate and score, but they ran a lot of floppy sets, uh, one-four pick-and-roll kind of stuff to try and get the ball moving. And I thought it was interesting that in watching Sasser do it, he was clearly much more of a threat to pull up off the dribble, but the defense also knew that, where Ramon Walker kind of had a little bit more... I don't know, freedom to do what he wants because the defense wasn't quite as concerned. I'm interested to see how Emmanuel Sharp performs throughout the season against live bullets. I think he kind of got pushed around a little bit by his own guys, but I think he showed some stuff in spots where he's got a little bit off the bounce. He's got a little bit of a left hand. He, he's got this ability to go both ways. The kid's from Tampa, Florida, and, and I feel like there's like a, a lot we don't know about him after – he graduates high school early and then doesn't play games last season and and that. And so like he's coming in kind of as a freshman, but also kind of as a guy that's been in the system for a little bit of, a little while. Um, he was a four star recruit. Like this is not some Joe Schmo, but but he's just a guy that's like didn't get the hype of Jarius Walker or Terrence Arsenault and those kind of guys that just got here. But he also is kind of in his first time we're getting to see him. So I thought that was really, really interesting. I already mentioned the size of Darius Bowser. But one thing that also stuck out about the red team that I have to mention is they absolutely dominated the glass. Whether it was Bowser or Roberts or Reggie Chaney, they really, really did kill the white team on the boards so much so that white team's coach kellen sampson did not appreciate what was going on i think he shouted some expletives across the board i'm not gonna say on this podcast but he was fairly upset at the effort he blamed it on effort i think the truth is the red team is just that good at rebounding because 
in their guards, they have Sasser attacking the glass, or we know how good a rebounder he can be, but they also had such strong forwards, right? They didn't necessarily as they weren't necessarily as tall as the white team, but they had a lot more strength in the front court. The one notable thing I think towards the end of this, with about 20 seconds left, uh, Juwan Roberts did take a stumble. I think there were some people tweeting about like what's going on there, and frankly, I did a little bit of investigating and what I could, but the Colleen Shoemaker product, it sounds like really probably is going to be okay. They were just playing things safe because he fell on his back and, you know, that kind of funny. You don't want to mess with the big guy's back. He's 6'8", 230. Like, you don't, you know, that's a big guy and that's a lot of, a lot of stress on the back already. So they kind of gingerly walked him off the floor after he fell down just to be safe. Speaking of playing it safe, the numbers don't lie. In the last decade, over 4 million people have chosen Simply Safe Home Security to protect their home. You don't earn the trust of that many people without doing something right. At Simply Safe, your safety is the only thing that matters. I know because I use Simply Safe in my own home. They protect you with cutting-edge security technology powered by 24/7 professional monitoring agents who always have your back. Here's why I love it. If you know me, you know I love sneakers. When this thing goes live on video, you'll see I have a giant wall of sneakers behind me, and bluntly, in my old place we had I had some in a gym bag in the back of my car. You know, I just go through a few in a day between practicing and teaching and you know walking around and working out and those kinds of, I had a bunch of things in the back of my car anyway my car got broken into the cops showed up they asked if we had cameras and those kinds of things we did not they basically said we there's nothing we can do we hope you know we find them someday but since it was at night and there was no one around those kind of things you can't have one simply safe home security would have helped us out in that instance the cameras and those kind of things tracking the front of our apartment or at the time at the time apartment currently townhome would have been a great great help it would have helped us identify who we're looking for what time they came by and what time they came in the gates and those kinds of things and we could not do that so simply safe would have potentially gotten back those red jordan threes and the all red ones you know i'm talking about from a couple years ago yeah no i'm gonna shake no anyway, they were really really sweet and i really really missed them with 24-7 professional monitoring, Simply Safe's agents call you the moment a threat is detected and dispatch police or first responders in an emergency, even if you're not home or can't be reached, like that night with my sneakers. Simply Safe blankets your home in protection with advanced sensors in every room, window, and door, HD security cameras from inside and outside your home, like what's in my car that night, smarter ways to detect motion that only alerts you when a threat is real, and even hazard sensors that dis- instantly detect fires, floods, and other threats in your home. Our monitoring experts use proprietary advanced response technology to visually confirm when a break-in is real, so you can get the highest priority police dispatch. Customize the perfect system for your home, which is a few minutes at simplysafe.com slash locked on college. Save 20% on your Simply Safe security system when you sign up for an interactive monitoring plan and get your first month free. Visit simplysafe.com slash locked on college to learn more. There's no safe like Simply Safe. All right, so we probably need to talk about the team that won the scrimmage. Yeah, that, that seemed fair. Uh, the white team was coached by Quinnis White and Kellen Sampson. I guess head coach of the white team was Kellen Sampson. I should probably say his name first. But Kellen, son of Kelvin, was the head coach of the white team. They had Jamal Shedd, Malik Wilson, Terrence Arsenal, Tremon Mark, Jairus Walker, and Javier Francis. Again, that was a very, very loaded team in this instance. And they kind of showed that early and kind of let off the gas late. I, I, there's a couple different ways back and forth, but I think what's interesting was from the jump, Jamal Shed looked like he had something to prove. It looked like like if I were trying to like go way too you know sports IQ kind of guy on this, getting way too interpersonal with the guys. It looked like to me Jamal Shed is like, hey, everyone's talking about Sasser coming back. I'm the guy that's going to win this conference. I'm the guy that's going to lead this conference in XYZ, and I'm the guy that needs some more shine. Because while they're all ranked, you know, he, Sasser, Mark are all top 
more or less five to ten, if not a Mark Sass ranked number one player for their position in the country. I think it's easy to kind of forget about Jamal Shedd because of all the excitement about getting Marcus Sasser back. And if you watch that scrimmage, there's zero forgetting about Jamal Shedd. He's a tremendous scorer off the bounce. It, I mean, again, I mentioned the red team segment that I think Sasser was trying to funnel him to bigs that weren't quite there because some of those bigs were with the white team. But I have to say that Jamal Shedd has one of the quickest first steps in college basketball. That, that team in itself, just the starting five for the white team, would be a top 10 to 15, if not better, college basketball team as it stands. And then you're going to add guys in the red team later. They had uh, Terrence Arsenault as a freshman from Beaumont United. I think it's really, really interesting to watch him fit in. Now, neither freshman, uh, Terrence Arsenault or Jairus Walker for them, had a bunch of points by any stretch. Walker had some good, good looks. And Arsenault had some great hustle plays. But neither one did a lot of scoring. I think, bluntly, both looked like they kind of had that first time out the gate jitters. And the game is still moving very, very quickly. In the first of the two halves, basically the only guy it felt like that was getting a rebound for the white team, though, was Javier Francis which is really interesting because something happened that Kellen Sampson kind of got into them. He definitely was like swearing up a storm. We were sitting close enough to be able to hear him <laughs> in that instance. But Kellen Sampson kind of lit something into them, and all of a sudden, the second half, air quotes, they were just eight minutes long, Jarris Walker really took over athletically. Now, again, he didn't score a lot of points. He missed some open shots that I think he'll put back. He also, like had two lobs that weren't the most well-executed lobs because the defense was in the way here, the ball was a little high there, whatever. But I have to say that defensively, he blocked one shot off the backboard that I thought he was going to hit his chin on the glass. He got one rebound where I'm telling you his nipple, can I say nipple line? Yeah. His nipple line was up at the rim. Like those kinds of things don't just happen to these young freshmen. Now I know he's an IMG Academy product. And as Samson continues to build this program, we're going to have more athletes like he and Terrence Arsenal, those guys show up that are just that kind of dominant athletically as freshmen. However, to see it in person, guys, 6'8", 6'9", 240, 250, like, and they're freshmen. They've got that kind of bounce, that kind of length, that kind of, as they're flying around the basketball court. I mean, Bluntly, they look like they're playing a different game than some college basketball teams are. They're playing so high above the rim, both defensively and offensively. And then Jarrett Walker stepped back and, knocked, and shot some threes. He didn't make any threes, but each of his three looks from behind three-point line looked fluid, looked smooth, and looked confident. They just, they just didn't go in. Now, judging by his body language and timeouts, I mean, it was sit so close because it was you know the scrimmage it was and those kinds of things. I do think there was some jitteriness there, but the stroke looks smooth. I bet he's knocking those down at a fairly efficient enough to have to come guard him kind of rate. And if he can play out there and Arsenal can play out there as well, suddenly you've got those guys like Jawan Roberts, Javier Francis, Darius Bowser, et cetera, down low, beating up guys in the glass. And all of a sudden you're a giant team that still has the spacing of a four out one in kind of team that Samson likes to run with, but a giant team with these huge, huge wings on the outside. Um, I think as I look at the way that this team played with those two tremendously talented young kids in Arsenal and Walker, I thought it was interesting that the white team did a lot more of one, four, one, three high ball screen kind of offense as opposed to the floppy sets that the red team did, it's just a little bit less complex. They're just going to run a pick and roll, drive, kick to the open man. Those there's instant offense kind of things. I also think it's interesting that, much like Sasha for the red team, Jamal Shedd did an excellent job of keeping the pace of the game. For a guy that's ranked in the top you know, five or ten, depending on what list you're looking at, shooting guards in the country, he played the point guard position on Saturday as well as I think it can be played. And, and again, he had some really great talent around him. I think that's the reason he like had the edge over Sasser on the game. 
but it really did look like he had great control of the pace, kind of in a Chris Paul kind of way right now. Chris Paul is obviously like one of the greatest point guards of all time, those kind of things. But if you're an NBA fan trying to watch this team for NBA prospects and those kinds of things, that was the kind of pace and control of the pace, I should say, that Shed played with. And what was fascinating about Jamal Shed was that he he got his own buckets early. But because he had those early, he knew that, oh, now it's time for me to dish this out. In wrapping up talking about the game itself, I think that Jamal Shedd, obviously, I think would win, if you're handing out like an MVP award for the game, that he'd win that kind of award, both because the white team won and because, you know, the way he controlled the pace. But I don't think it's, we can't overlook the way Tremont Mark and Malik Wilson kind of athletically flew up and down the floor because once Shedd wanted to dictate the pace and speed it up, those the guys running the lanes at the outside lanes. Those are the guys getting the cup. Those are the guys making the back cuts. And frankly, those are the guys that we had one sweet back cut that almost led to a Drace Walker lob for, I mean, dunk to end it. That was almost really, really sweet. I do think that if these two teams played a more traditional college basketball game against one another, that at some point, the size of the red team would come into play. They were bigger and stronger. They weren't as long in the way that Walker and Arsenal were so long, but they had the muscle. I mentioned Bowser earlier. I mentioned Roberts. They had the muscle down low to kind of get their two points when they needed to. And once they calmed down, again, Sasser as the coach kind of helped calm them out. Once they did calm down, they're the team that kind of settled in and kind of kept it even after they had an initial deficit. And I think what's interesting is both of these teams would probably be top 10 to 15 teams in the country. Both of these teams, frankly, could probably win the American Conference. And both of these teams play for the Cougs under Kelvin Sampson. They've got a great, great team this year. And I think what's fascinating in watching this team is the level of competition was so, so high that that's clearly where it comes from. They ran very simple sets in offense. Again, red ran a lot of floppy. White ran a lot of 1-4 high pick and roll kind of stuff. And at the end of the day, the deep reason they got a bunch of points that both teams that did were Hustle plays, offensive rebounds, tips, back cuts on the second possession, and they get the ball in transition. I think what's fascinating is that that is the mark of a competitive team because all those things are are effort. All those things are are very basic fundamentals and plugging in your want to, your desire, etc. And so I, if I were a betting man, I'd bet on this team to go a long, long way. I was very, very impressed with the basketball team. We're going to get into over the course of the week, you know, Tuesday and every Tuesday before the basketball season starts going to preview a couple different basketball players but I would bet this team does pretty good speaking of placing bets betonline.net is your number one source for football betting this season I know we're talking basketball but your number one source for football betting is bet online find all the latest player developments team matchups news podcasts in-depth articles and analysis on every game you can find and as always betterline remains your continued source for all your sports wagering information with live betting up to the minute scores for every sport out there it's the fastest and easiest way to check in on all of your favorite games and events including major league baseball mma boxing and golf and Houston Cougar football, you can go on to betonline.net. They only have us as a two-and-a-half-point favorite at Navy next week. And i I got to be honest, I'm taking the Cougs and their points on that one. I, I think I think with two weeks off to prepare for the triple option, we'll be okay. We'll preview that game on Wednesday and Thursday and probably a little bit on Friday as well going into it. But i I got to say I feel confident in that one. Head to betonline.net or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. 
All right, so if you've been following me for a long time on Twitter and things like that, or you've been you know, following the show since it started, you just remember from listening to me ramble on and on and on in the first episode, I am a teacher and coach by day and cool content producer by night. And, and I say that because I don't sleep. But what I really mean that is I went to this thing initially to go to the coaches clinic that Coach Samson provided as a coach, right? He's one of the best coaches in America. I, I might be biased and think he is the best coach in America, but certainly at least one of the best coaches in America. He had a free clinic in Houston. I can get to that. It's on a Saturday morning. I got down there and got to that. The fact that it all tied into this, getting to watch the scrimmage, that kind of thing was really, really sweet. And I thought it was interesting to see, you know, from Coach Sampson's perspective, what things they're doing right and what things they're doing well and what kind of things that people are asking. It's like, hey, I want to mimic this. You're doing this really well. Coaches in the Houston area like want to copy him. AAU coaches, high school coaches, private school coaches, public school coaches, big school coaches, small school coaches, all the coaches want to copy what Sampson's doing because he's got one of the best, if not the best, basketball team in America. And bluntly, we'll talk about it all year long, but they've got a real chance to win a national championship for the city of Houston. So the biggest piece of this it felt like was everyone would say, Samson, you've got this great culture. Culture is on all your t-shirts. Culture is on all your bumper stickers. Culture is on all your social media. The culture around Houston basketball since Samson got here has just been different. So what is making it so different? That was a, a clear, clear-cut line that people asked him in several different ways. And Samson pointed out that it comes down to three basic principles that he just has believed in since he was at Washington State, since he was at Oklahoma, when he was an assistant coach across the league, and so on. He sets three different things, one of which are standards. He said three people can never have a bad practice. One of them is him, the head coach. One of them is his point guard, the like QB, coach on the floor kind of guy. And one of them is his best player. At the end of the day, those three guys, he said, cannot ever have a bad practice. And it sounds like he's super blunt with his guys about that. Now, as I look at our current roster, I imagine that means he's sitting down with Shed and Sasha. It's like, hey, the three of us in this room right now can't have a bad practice. We can't do it. And I think what's interesting is, Clearly, when watching the teams play in the scrimmage on Saturday, they were bought into that, right? They were very much in like Shed and Sasser or pushing and coaching their teams throughout the entire 16 minutes of basketball. The other thing I think is interesting is he tied this back to his previous stops. He didn't go back and mention too much about his previous college stops, but when he was in the NBA, he said he mentioned he coached in Sacramento and he coached in San Antonio. In Sacramento, the best player was Boogie Cousins, and in San Antonio, the best player was Tim Duncan. Both tremendous athletes, both tremendously talented, and both, honestly, two of the most gifted power forwards to ever play the game. One of them did not have bad practices. And I'll let you guess which one that was. <laughs> yeah, we're nodding. The fundamental did not have bad practices. And I think what's interesting is that if you look at the way that that sets the culture, now there's a lot of stuff wrong with Sacramento from an NBA standpoint, but when you look at how that sets the culture, you cannot overlook that that does have to have some sort of an impact when you look at the culture in Sacramento and in San Antonio. And then we look at his teams. His best players have always been hardworking, hard-nosed guys. He recruits that way. He doesn't get the five-star talent that's blowing off college to get to the NBA really quickly. Now, could one and done happen in a Samson system? Absolutely. Are they like, is that what he's looking for? No. Right? That's not necessarily what he's doing. The second thing he said in setting culture is that you have to have open and clear expectations. Now, they're not like season-end expectations. They're not even like week-end, month-end expectations. He said when you come up in practice or come into meetings every single day, 
It's clear and blunt. We're going to be better at this by the end of the day. We're going to have this accomplished by the end of the day, and we're going to get better at that tomorrow. We'll focus on that other thing tomorrow. This is today's expectation. And what I think is fascinating is he mentioned in several tidbitty kind of ways, or alluded to, I should say, that the thing that they had focused on for the handful of practices they've had and the summer work they had as a team was all defensive minded. And then you watch the scrimmage and it's like, oh, the offense is super simple. It's just hustle and aggression right now. The defense is impeccable, right? The expectation was we're going to get better at playing the pick and roll in the slot. The expectation was we're going to play the empty side pick and roll better today. The expectation was we're going to learn how to switch and hedge and force and do these different ways to approach that screen today. The expectation was all those different things, we're going to get better at rebounding from this position, from this vantage point today. All those expectations have led to a team that now does those things very well. Being super clear clear cut and blunt has led to a team that is strong in those areas. So clearly it's paying off. The third thing that he said in building his culture, and the final thing he said is accountability, and he said passive-aggressive, I think I'll paraphrase here, is a no-no. He was super, you know, passive-aggressive are just people are scared to get stuff done kind of stuff, and all those kinds of quotes came out. And I think what's interesting is that, Generally speaking, he he mentioned that part of the reason he's been blessed to be as good a coach as he has, and he, he always gives credit to everyone else, is that he's had some really strong athletic directors. And so that really made me feel good about the U of H as a program. But he said across the board, he said athletic directors that really bought into what he was doing, and that kind of makes it easy to be aggressive. That makes it easy to make the tough decisions when you know your boss has your back. And he was like, I've always I've always had that. And that, again, makes me feel really good about where Houston's at as an athletic department. Because as we move into the Big 12, a lot of pressure is going to get put on Chris Pesman, the athletic, I guess it's the vice president for athletics, so it's not quite the same. But anyway, a lot of pressure is going to get put on Pesman to make sure we're doing the right thing. We're doing the things that make us one of the big boys. And Samson seems to feel like, based on their interactions, he feels like he's got the support to do those kinds of things from him. You know, the same kind of aspect, he would later say things like, Coaches that don't ask for things don't get things. He can go to the AD and say, I need 200 basketballs. No, no one ever needs 200 basketballs, but he can. He has the stones to go ask those things and get those kind of things from the AD. Now, philosophical things on defense, because again, they said they coached a lot of defense to this point. That's why the offense looked so simple. Philosophically, he was saying the defense starts to him and his staff and his culture and what he's building, and he's what he's built in Houston, I should say, when the other team gets the rebound. So he sends guys the offensive glass as a part of playing defense because he wants to see if he can get the ball back. And then once the other team has the rebound, defense has begun. We're playing basketball. We're playing defense for 30 full seconds, the entirety of the shot clock. And I think it was fascinating to hear him point out, like, he feels that his team is really good at defense because of the way they played defense in the first 10 seconds. That transition defense being lights out in that first 10 seconds means you only have to play half-court defense for another 20 seconds. And so they do so much work, and he went through some drills. I'm not going to give you all the tea right now, but he went through all kinds of stuff about how he and his team get ready and get prepared to play lights out transition defense and how important that is in A, cutting out easy baskets, B, making offensive make the mistake, and C, helping his guys have to play half-court defense that much less, right? So one of, the, one of the drills I tweeted out over the weekend that I thought was beautifully simple, and I'll, I'll, probably the only drill I'll talk about because 
some of it was very coach speak. And if you want to do that, send me a mailbag question, and we'll and we'll maybe break into that a little bit more. But the drill was as simple as we're going to get into four lines. We're going to sprint to half court, flip our hips and turn around, and point at the next guy in line and say, I got five Ainsworth, or I got two Brown, or I got three Smith, or whatever the next guy in line is. And we're just sprinting to half, flipping our hips, and opening up and turning around and pointing and talking. And you talk about how you say it out loud, right, to make sure that every your buddies know that's who you got and that you point so you know who you got, right? This is like double level of communication. And the idea of just like practicing that simplicity and how like the beautifully beautifully simple drill that that is means that that's something they're doing almost every day. He called it Sooner Drill. I'm sorry he picked it up when he was in Oklahoma. But the kind of emphasis on those kinds of things every day, repetitiveness of the basics, repetitiveness on the fundamentals, is how you get really good at those fundamentals. As I'm flipping through my notes here, um, the first third they're trying to focus on transition, transition, transition. The second third, he said they're focusing on action. That's when the scouting comes in. That's when the video department comes in. That's when you're watching team actions. What kind of screens are they setting? Where they like to set their screens? How much to use the drop in to the dunker spot versus the corner versus the, versus the elbow versus when do they use those kinds of things? So using that in the middle 10 seconds. And then the last 10 seconds, he says, we get into player tendencies. This is Garza Yard. This is if I'm covering Kendrick Davis from Memphis, right? This is when I know, well, he likes to hit his right hand two times, get the elbow. His favorite spot is the nail. His favorite spot is the short court. This is the, the last. 10 seconds of the 30 second shot clock is when you're getting into individual tendencies and that's the individual breakdown that's i'm going to be covering that dude what does he like to do or what has he been hot doing today and those kinds of things i think what's fascinating is that like that is such a great breakdown in two-thirds of a defensive shot clock that then you end with the rebounding and we've all seen videos on youtube about how much kelvin sampson uses the bubble which is the thing you put over the top of the rims that no one can make a shot and all the rebounding drills and how intense those get and how like at oklahoma we had dudes like knock one of their down and like like very very like violent visceral kind of things when people are fighting for rebounds and all that kind of stuff i i think what's interesting is that intensity is just so ingrained in what he does and what he says at all times and he said a bunch of you know classic coach talk kind of things i'm making sure i flip to my notes and i don't miss anything i don't <laughs> that i i can say and don't want to miss but i think what's interesting is he said one of the things he does every year is has someone that he knows scout his own team and point out weaknesses how would that other basketball coach exploit his team and i have to say that in me scouting his team as another basketball coach I don't know how many weaknesses I got. They're a very, very strong basketball team, and they're a very, very good, deep basketball team. Again, two different teams I think that would realistically be in the top 10 to 15 put together, playing together all year long. I think this is going to be a really, really fun year. We're going to preview it every week leading up to the basketball season. We're going to do three players a Tuesday, each Tuesday between now and and the season starting. I guess we'll technically do three right after the first game. We're kind of lead up to the St. Joe's game, but we will technically have already played a game. We'll play Northern Colorado on the 7th, and the St. Joe's is the Friday following. I think that's the 11th of November. Things tip off really, really soon. If you're excited like I am and you want to talk Houston Cougars basketball, please find me on Twitter. That's at Painsworth512, P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H-512. I'm always willing to talk Cougar basketball, Rocket basketball, NBA basketball, anything you like. I love talking basketball. As we get into the weekend, we're going back to 
more football content on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, previewing the game against Navy this weekend. So be on the lookout for all of that too. Be sure you download a subscribe and make Locked on Cougs your first listen each and every day. That's the best way to make sure you're in the loop for all the latest Houston Cougar news. Thank you all so much for making us your first listen of the day. I enjoyed talking with you about the Houston Cougar basketball program. I would recommend after this to make your second listen the Locked on Astros podcast because, man, after an 18-inning one-run game, I imagine they got a lot of baseball, not a lot of hits, but a lot of baseball to talk about. So go check out the crew at Locked On Astros and do all the wonderful things that help out that podcast as well. Thank you all so much for coming by today. Go Cougs!